millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. You will not miss a thing. If anything happens down in Westminster, by the way, if anything happens with the publication of this report, the Grey Report, we will bring it to you straight away. But until such time as it does, uh, we're not going to do it. I'm afraid, because there's literally nothing else to say. Uh, Brendan Chilton is here with the CEO of the Independent Business Network. We've been talking very much about the crime statistics and what we should be doing uh, to sort of get Britain back to normal, because it does appear that today is the beginning, uh, is it not, Brendan, of the sort of, uh, of of the return to normal, for, for heaven's sake. But let's talk a little bit about the Labour Party, because Keir Starmer yesterday could have probably launched a pretty vitriolic attack on the Prime Minister. I think, generally speaking, most people thought he sort of failed to, to land a killer blow once again. Um, and Boris Johnson sort of emerged out of the Prime Minister's question stronger, probably, than he went in. Um, and yesterday, I was listening to Jeremy Carl's show, and he had a couple of uh, shadow ministers on. One of them started talking about, you know, how important it was that we should rebuild um, Britain in uh, the image of the Labour Party and what they want to do. Um, but there was a conversation about energy and how expensive it's become and how there's a crisis now and why can we not build on the fracking world that we now have, all the stuff that we've got under the ground. And he actually said that we can't do that uh, because the biggest crisis we are facing, and he said this completely and utterly without his tongue in his cheek, is the climate crisis. And I thought to myself, you know, just when you thought the Labour Party might be coming back and talking sense, they're talking nonsense again. Well, on, on particularly on the energy prices, Mike, there's three big things uh, that are you know causing people to face hardship at the moment. We're now outside the European Union and can be flexible on VAT. So the first thing we should do is cut VAT on energy prices. The second thing we need to do is examine the 20% of energy bills that are green levies. So all that money that doesn't even actually go to the Treasury, it goes immediately on subsidising green forms of energy. If we're going to go to a green energy system it needs to be competitive and not subsidized so let's review that and then thirdly you're absolutely right we've got about a hundred years worth of shale gas under the uk Mm. we should be using that and becoming energy self-sufficient so that we're not reliant on foreign powers or where our supply chains couldn't be disrupted uh, by foreign powers if i was energy secretary or chancellor that's the things i'd be doing immediately to sort out the energy crisis in this country Absolutely right. And that's why so many people, Brendan, say to me, why can Brendan Chilton not run the Labour Party? Because he seems to be eminently more sensible than anybody else who's in it. Sam Tarry was the guy, Shadow Transport Minister, who was talking to Jeremy Carl yesterday. But as long as they keep saying things like, you know, the huge... He actually said, you know, surely you don't want your children to be growing up uh, in a world where the biggest threat is not dying of old age, but dying 
before that because of the climate crisis. And I just thought to myself, have you lost the plot, mate? I mean, you're actually turned into Greta Thunberg. Maybe make her head of the Labour Party. The, the problem with the whole language around the climate debate is the sort of catastrophic, cataclysmic tone uh, that those that are absolutely convinced and supportive of moving to net zero use. And frankly, when you use such alarmist language, people find it farcical and they don't believe you. And it's the worst thing uh, that people can do uh, because it just demeans their own argument. I think broadly, if, if, I mean, I think if you said to most people in this country, would you like energy systems and supplies that don't you know, harm animals and the natural world? I think broadly we'd all go, yeah, of course. But if you said to people, do you want an energy supply system that's going to be around 20 or 30 percent more expensive? People would go up. Ah, hang on a minute, we can't afford this. And so what I think both Labour and the Conservatives need to be doing right now is looking at the root causes of the high costs of energy. As we just discussed, it's VAT, it's the green levies and the fact that we're not energy self-sufficient. Exactly right. Uh, Brendan, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Brendan Shilton there, CEO of the Independent Business Network. A man who's so sensible, I can't believe he's not in government, to be honest. I mean, he was uh, quite a key figure in the Kent um, uh, Council and he was running Ashford for a long time. But quite frankly, he's got more ideas and more sense coming out of him than I think the entire shadow cabinet including Keir Starmer, Angela Rayner and this bloke Sam Tarry, whoever he is. He was on Jeremy Carl yesterday talking absolute rubbish. I couldn't quite believe it. Uh, now, listen, I am indebted to Danny Shaw, who sent me some great statistics on the crime front, which I shall roll out to you over the course of the show. Uh, but we do want to hear from you as well. We want to hear your stories. When was the last time you had to deal with the police? Were you the victim of crime? We want to know what happened. Uh, how about this from Phil, uh, who says, most crime is carried out by habitual career criminals. The only way these criminals are stopped is jailing them and protecting victims. But a frequent contributor to your network is Chris Dorr, who would close prisons down. Yeah, Chris Dorr, who seems more keen to uh, tell everybody whoever criticises what happens in the justice system that they don't really understand it uh, and they're misrepresenting it, rather than actually saying, well, criminals are bad, we should lock them up. Danny uh, has got many, as I say, statistics. The one that I found fascinating and he says uh, the most troubling perhaps is this from the UK Home Office the number of crimes resulting in a suspect being charged has now fallen to six percent I'll just say that again six percent that means 94 percent of crimes do not result in anyone being charged huh and you say the police are doing a good job do you the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. In search of the perfect debate. Listen online. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Don't forget, we are now also on television. You can watch us on Apple TV, on Rakuten, on Samsung TV+, Plus, on Roku, on YouTube. And now we're on Amazon Fire TV as well. Later on, uh, we'll be talking, of course, to Helena Nicklin. She's coming in with the Thursday Club. We'll have a special guest uh, joining us on that as well. Uh, today, we are going to be trying out some rather nice Italian beverages, I believe. Uh, so we keep uh, tuned for that. And don't forget uh, to watch us all the way through the day. Ian Collins, Jeremy Kyle, of course, Kevin O'Sullivan, James Whirl, all the way back 
Brown, uh, of course, to Julie Hartley Brewer and James Max in the morning. Uh, front page of The Sun. They've also decided to go with Prince Andrew. Andrew, I'll go to trial. No sweat. Uh, yesterday, he came out rather dramatically by his lawyers to say that he wants to have a jury trial. Demands, in fact, a jury trial. Uh, now, you might say, well, that's a bit like demanding to have a free ice cream after you just paid for one uh, at the ice cream shop, because, in fact, there was already set up a jury trial. A judge in New York has already said that the trial must go ahead, and a judge has already said, uh, in fact, that uh, the jury will deliberate upon whether um, Virginia Giffray's uh, accusations of sexual assault are, in fact, newsworthy and trustworthy. Let's talk to Duncan Larkin, former royal editor at The Sun, uh, to find out whether this is a rather dangerous gambit uh, for the Duke of York. Duncan, a very good morning to you. Mike. Hi. Uh, yeah, hi. I mean, demanding a jury trial when there already is one uh, is kind of an interesting manoeuvre, but I suppose he's convinced a few people that at least it means he's standing up uh, to these charges and he is planning to at least put up some kind of story of how it didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, that's right. He's obviously always insisted that he's an innocent man and that um, these claims are made up um, at best uh, or designed to, to make somebody wealthy. So... The, the, the heart of the issue really is they can't both be telling the truth. I mean, one of them is telling a lie, and that is an incredibly serious lie. This isn't a business deal that went wrong for a royal. This is an allegation of sexual assault in a civil court, you know. So I think Andrew probably had no choice. I mean, imagine if he'd settled and he'd given her 30 million pounds mm. or 10 million pounds, whatever it is, and then that comes out. If he'd offered it to her, she'd turned it down before the trial. She'd be able to go on TV and say, look, Prince Andrew's trying to bribe me mm. by my silence. So his hands were quite tied, I think. Um, he has to be robust. He has to have his moment in court. And as I say, he makes a piece of royal history as he does it. Well, that's the problem for him now, isn't it, though? Because whatever he does, he's kind of in a bad place because it's dragged on for such a long time. I mean, there'll be people, I imagine, who will say, well, why didn't he just do this earlier? Why didn't he just say uh, all of the things that he's now said in this legal statement from his lawyers, in which he sort of debunks all of her accusations one by one? But he also says that she has no, uh, the court has no jurisdiction over her because she doesn't actually live in Colorado at all. She lives in Australia. Um, he also claims that, you know, uh, this is not a case that can be brought because she is in, I think the legal term is um, unclean or does not have clean hands, meaning that she also committed various crimes as, uh, you know, as, as a young woman working for Epstein. So, I mean, he's still sort of trying to get it dismissed, isn't he? Well, I, I mean, in fairness to Prince Andrew, given how serious these accusations are, I mean, nobody guilty or innocent would ever want to really put themselves through a public humiliation that, that Prince Andrew now has to go through. Yeah. So I, I think in fairness to him, a lawyer would try and use every means possible to find a loophole. But you know what? I think actually Prince Andrew's quite lucky in this respect. He's lucky that his lawyers have failed in all their attempts so far to have this case thrown out before it comes to trial. Because I think, make, make no mistake, Andrew's already um, damaged beyond repair. Mm. His, I don't think his reputation will continue. And in the years gone by, when history looks back at Prince Andrew, the Queen's second son, they won't remember a Falklands War hero. They will already remember a guy who had a very strange relationship with a paedophile um, and was accused of all these horrible things. It's not about that now. It's about damage limitation. And, it's, and, and at the only option Prince Andrew has now is to stand up, say in court, 
let his lawyers pick apart the argument and let a jury mm. decide which one of the two of them is telling the truth. But of course, the big problem for him now, or the next big problem for him, is the deposition, because we're at the stage of deposition where, uh, for people in this country who don't understand what that is, that's when lawyers basically put you under oath, sit you in a room, uh, and ask you a load of really, really difficult questions. Now, he wasn't brilliant with Emily Maitlis, so I can't imagine he's going to be that good with one of America's top deposition lawyers quizzing him for about seven hours, which I think they're allowed to do. Well, if you were a highly paid lawyer trying to prepare Prince Andrew for appearance in front of a jury and you looked at the BBC interview, I think you'd tear all your hair out. I yeah. mean, I don't, you know, OK, Prince Andrew demands a jury trial and that's his right. You know, he has to clear the air. But are the jury going to have the same reaction that the British public had when he shows no empathy with victims of horrendous crimes, who who, who comes across as aloof and arrogant and self-centred and not particularly clever? That's just the view of the Emily Maitlis thing. Of yeah. course, he might be fine in court, but I think he needs to get out some practice to start, yes. start talking to the mirror for a bit. Not well, the newspaper. Yeah, no, exactly right. Well, he might not do a bad. Might, might not. Might not be bad for him to talk to some newspaper. But I mean, this is the trouble with him is that he's led this life of privilege, and I mean, he really is probably one of the most privileged members of the royal family. He never really thought that the rules applied to him. I mean, never mind Boris Johnson. I and mean, this guy makes Boris Johnson uh, look like a law-abiding citizen. You know, who's never told a lie in his life. And this guy just got on helicopters, flew around the world. Uh, took part in sort of trade missions, always managed to squeeze in around a golf somewhere. You know, yeah. he's never he's not used to being quizzed by anyone. Well, I mean, I've covered the Royal Family for, for about the past 15, 20 years. And as far as I'm concerned, even if you took the Jeffrey Epstein, uh, the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing out of the way, I think you've still got a pretty rotten apple in Prince Andrew. What does he do? What does he stand for? And the number of stories we wrote about him going and picking up an environmental award uh, in, in uh, Switzerland. Right. In a private jet. Right. You know, so he's not a guy with a great track record. All his business dealings and relationships with sort of oligarchs around the world will probably now get the scrutiny that I think it's deserved for a long time. Um, and as I say, that's why I don't think Prince Andrew is going to recover from this. It's a question of how bad, how much damage will it now do to the British royal family in a year when we are all supposed to be celebrating 70-year achievement of the Queen? Well, it's going to be pretty weird, isn't it, on the actual Platinum Jubilee a day, the celebration itself, when there's supposed to be, you know, a whole range of former members uh, of the royal family, ex-wives, husbands, all the rest of it. There's not going to be very many of them there, are there? Well, no, I don't think that Harry and Meghan are likely to be there. And obviously now I think with a court case pending, Prince Andrew was uh, even less likely to be there. It, look, it casts a shadow. I mean, ultimately, it's it's about the Queen, I think. I mean, she's now caught in this horrific dilemma or, or, or split loyalty. She's the head of an institution she's led for 70 years and has to do the right thing for the monarchy. But Andrew's her son, you know, and he is accused of this. She wants to be a support to him. But so she's got all of that going on. And frankly, when she smiles and waves at the crowd, you wonder or not whether that's just a pretty unwelcome distraction at this time. Now. Yeah, I mean, it really is such a shame uh, for her in this, as I say, platinum jubilee year. But Duncan, thanks very much indeed. Duncan Larkham there talking to us about uh, the dreadful situation now with Prince Andrew, where um, he's sort of damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. But what he now is uh, laying himself open to uh, is what perhaps some people said he should never do um, because it would only incriminate him, which is to be basically subject himself uh, to... Um, um, a very, very long interrogation, effectively, under oath, which means he can't afford to tell a lie, with an American lawyer who does that for a living. It doesn't look good for him, does it?
you'd have to say. Um, breaking news, by the way, um, a sad news. Comedian and writer Barry Cryer has died at the age of 86, a man who maybe some of you younger people listening might not remember, uh, but we might find you something that we can use to play you uh, of his rather humorous um, shows that he did so many of them uh, he's been around for a very very long time uh, very much uh, uh, on the forefront of, of comedy in this country for many many years many decades you might say uh, we'll talk about that uh, and much much else besides coming up right here on Talk Radio Common Sense Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got loads coming up. Peter Blexley in the final hour of the show to talk to us about crime, what's going on, why it's so, so wrong, why only 6% now uh, of crimes that are committed actually finally result in a charge being brought by the police. Extraordinary. Absolutely unbelievable. Uh, we've got Mark Saggers here as well. We're going to talk about Barry Cryer and much else besides. Um, he's a legend of broadcasting, a man that I used to work with on many occasions, and so did many other people as well. But we won't go into that. But let me introduce you, uh, I don't know for the first time on Talk Radio, to Mark Sagan. No, it's not the first time. You've been on before, haven't you? In fact, I think I've had you on before. Yeah, and you and Julia. And Julia. Yes, that's right. You came into her show during, during the whole Euros during thing. During the Euros thing yes. and what have you. Um, and it's and, good to be here. And it's great to see you. Um, the reason you're here is for all sorts of other reasons, but let's talk about Barry Cryer because, yeah. you know, you've worked at the Beeb, you've worked at Sky, you've worked all over the place. I mean, he's worked even more places than I have. You know. <laughs> I remember... might even be slightly older than me, but that's not very... very. Actually, what I do remember about Barry Cryer, and it it is so sad, and think of his family, first of all, today, yeah. and he's even, even a great-grandfather. Yeah. And um, he was a, a great man of literature, mm. studied it at Leeds University. Right. And... It was his knowledge of words that really helped him just have a great line. Yes. He was a funny man. He was genuinely funny because, you know, a lot of comedians that, that you and I have met over the yeah. years, they're not that funny when they're sort of not on, no. if you like, whereas he was genuinely kind he of He was Barry Cryer quick, when he was he? on yes. as, a, as opposed to off. He didn't need a right. pseudonym or anything like that. He was the man. And, and he I was mean, very much a background guy as well, wasn't oh, he? Yes, Writing uh, for people. He didn't. He wasn't that comfortable in the spotlight. No, he wasn't. I mean, he. I'm sorry I haven't got a clue. I haven't a clue was from 1972. He was right, right. the way that, through that. And that I met him a couple of times in the corridors of Radio 4 when yeah. I worked on the Today programme. I mean, even Radio 4 was good in those days. Yeah. You know, it's gone right well, off. Do you know what they've been doing today? Apparently today they've been telling people how you can convince somebody nicely to wear oh, okay. a mask uh, without sort of upsetting them. Yeah. I mean, come on, guys. Well, I don't think we need to now, do we? Here? Well, we know. Of course not. But that's quite good news. It is good ways. news. But going back to Barry, I think one of the great things he did, he stood in for, would it be Eddie Braven, who was um, Morecambe and Wise's main yes, scriptwriter? Yes, that's writer. right. Yeah. And, and, and uh, he did two or three uh, of those, I think with partners like Willie Rushton and others, right. of Morecambe and Wise Christmas shows. He did. And, and that, he worked to with Kenny Everett as well. So, oh, I mean, that's yeah. how versatile he was. He could go from yeah. Morecambe and Wise to Kenny Everett smoothly. But he had a great Yorkshire burr. Mm. And he went to Leeds Grammar as well as the university. And he just was a great guy. He was always happy. Right. And he was always fun. And he didn't try and tell you a stupid joke. No. He, That's it. It's he, about he, conversation, he was a proper person. It? I remember sitting in the, the stalls in a preview of one of Lloyd Webber's uh, big theatrical yeah. productions in the West End. And I think it was somewhere over the rainbow. Mm. And uh, he was sitting behind and turned around and... Uh, I was with Jane, my wife, there, and we turned around, and he sort of thought I was somebody else, right. I think, to start with. And then I said, Barry, we have met. Oh, I'm, I'm a sports broadcaster, you know. And he was 
he was just fantastic. Yeah. He just he, he just makes you laugh and he makes you feel good. Yes. He's one of those people that has energy. Well, it's when and comedy... And he doesn't suck it out of you. Right. He gives it to it's you. It's when comedy was comedy. And comedy was funny. You know, now, comedy is political. It's almost never... Um, you know, about people that you're not supposed to make fun of. It's only yeah. ever about the people that you can make fun of. Yeah. So, you know, you can make loads of jokes about Donald Don't Trump. Don't think he didn't have an edge. He had oh, a really no, I'm good sure edge he did. for the time. Sure, but the point is, is that all of that comedy's kind of disappeared now. Just stuff that makes yeah. you laugh, you know, like the kind of Only Fools and Horses stuff and some of the dopey Morecambe and White stuff. It's yeah. just funny. Yeah. And, and even now it's funny. Yeah, and I, I still, I mean, he's been on an ever-present, hasn't he? Over, gosh, how many years would that be then? Well, Six so, yeah. years, I think. Yeah, and he's been involved in so much. And so it's a sad day, obviously, as you say, yeah. for his family. But Barry Cryer, if you haven't, because there'll be people who don't really know who he is, no. younger people who don't understand what he did. And, and check him out, because it's uh, a thing of beauty. A wordsmith. Um, now, I've got... Um, some time to, to spend with you now, but I've oh, also got a bit of an offer for you as well because oh, okay. we haven't seen each other for a while. No. And I was going to invite you for a bit of a drink later if you so wish. On or off air? Uh, on air. Because you've come in on the right day. I don't know whether anybody's told you on Thursdays. We do a thing called the Thursday Club, which, of course, you'll know. Oh, well, I, kn I knew the Tuesday Club. and the Well, the original Thursday, Thursday Club, I well, think, was, came from an original idea by Ray Parler from Arsenal. It certainly did. Uh, who used to go on a Thursday every week. There's quite a few of them, do Yes. In fact, I only saw Ray... The other week. Okay. And uh, now he oh doesn't have word. to wait till Thursday. He just does it every day, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah. Well, we're not getting into that. Are we? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're certainly not. <laughs> we're not. But so we so every okay. so every Thursday we have a delightful uh, wine taster called okay. Helena Nicklin, who's a massive okay. expert on wine. Writes books, writes blogs. Is part of a TV show called The Three Drinkers on Amazon, and she's bringing us some lovely Italian <laughs> wine. Um, now, if I asked you what your favourite part of Italy was for wine, what would you say? I would say it was uh, Piedmont. Well, well, you could be in luck then, because we've got some Barolo coming in, uh -huh. uh, and we've got some other sparkling stuff coming in, and so it's right up your street. So oh, all I'm going to ask I... you to do is hang around for about... Oh, well, I shall give you a, a, Less a than an mention hour. of one or two places that I've okay. been lucky enough to be. Less than an hour from now, you could be sitting there with a glass of something red in your hand. Oh, well, that sounds it's quite It's not nice. too early. What do you think? Nothing is ever too early to make me go red you know that <laughs> brilliant well listen mark saggers he's here uh we're going to be talking about some more things later on the thursday club of course coming up with helena nicklin uh in the next hour uh which we shall look forward to we'll need another chair we'll need a few more glasses uh so you guys better get uh, organized and we'll see you later looking forward to this talk radio the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on the home of Common Sense, the place where you hear everything first and where we only tell you news if it actually happens. When there isn't any news, uh, we don't tell you there's something happening when there isn't. And right now, everyone is in a holding pattern. Everyone in the entire news business is talking about absolutely nothing. But we're not. Here at uh, Talk Radio, we will bring you any news as it happens from Westminster in particular. Uh, we will tell you what's going on in Downing Street. We will tell you what the police say. We will tell you when Sue Gray publishes her report. But as of right now, none of that is actually happening. So instead, we're talking about proper stories, proper news, things that affect you, particularly in this regard, crime. And the woeful rate of conviction, the woeful rate of arrests, the woeful rate of crime detection at the moment, and the woeful rate of charging. We're told only 6% now uh, of cases uh, of crime actually result in a charge, a formal charge uh, by the police. Now, there might be many reasons for that, and if you are a police officer, uh, I'd love to hear from you. We're going to talk to Peter 
Blexley, a former Scotland Yard detective, of course, to get his view of why the police have been so derailed uh, that they're off looking at hate crime, they're off looking at politicians to see whether they might have broken coronavirus rules. They were off uh, flying drones around the country trying to see whether you were breaking coronavirus rules. At the bottom of all of this, though, is, of course, the problem of violent crime, the problem of sexual assault, the problem of burglary, the problem of car crime. All of those crimes are up and all of the detection rates are down. So we want to hear from you. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Of course, coming up a little bit later on, uh, we'll also be talking uh, to Mark Saggers some more. Uh, he'll be back in because he's going to join us for the Thursday Club with Helena Nicklin because she's here, of course, uh, to bring us some rather nice wines uh, from Italy. And we'll be enjoying those uh, shortly before we hand over to Ian Collins. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number to call us on. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's say a very good afternoon to Peter Blexley. Peter, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. One of the things that I wanted to sort of alert you to, and I'm sure I don't need to alert you to it as such, is the problem with an awful lot of crime in this country is that people know that they might become victims of crime. They tell the police that they might be in some kind of danger. I'm thinking particularly of uh, of, of women mostly who have got violent ex-partners or people who have got it in for them. They kind of know that they're being harassed by some people. We're looking at that uh, terrible incident over in um, West London, you know, where a driver actually drove into the perpetrator and, 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 and killed him effectively, but it was too late. He'd already killed um, his ex-partner. And an awful lot of people tell me that they tell the police this, but the police say, well, we can't really do anything until this person does some kind of act of violence against you. Um, and that must be a very difficult position to be in. The fear of crime is absolutely abominable. Yeah. Nobody wants to live under the threat of being assaulted or having their property damaged or stolen because it's really unpleasant. And I know that from harsh experience because I spent two years living in the witness protection program with the continual threat of an assassin's bullet in the back of my head. It's not a nice place to be. We want to feel safe, whether we're at home, at work, traveling to or from, wherever we may choose to go. And and of course, the absence of crime is really what we all want. And in order to, to have that, you need sufficient police numbers to be able to patrol the streets. And in 2022, pounding the beat, which was what I was taught to do when I joined the cops way back in 1978, has sadly, largely become a thing of the past. Mm. We do not see that police officer walking up and down our residential streets. Yeah, I mean, you get a sense, don't you, Peter, that large parts of this country are kind of just rogue and uh, if you want to commit a crime particularly if you're in a drug gang particularly if you're selling drugs uh, even if you're you know robbing people you've got, there's a very little chance that you'll actually be found and a very little chance you'll be caught and very little chance if you are caught that you'll be convicted unfortunately detection and conviction rates for certain crimes are utterly appalling particularly rape and that has been a problem for the police which has simply not been grasped, even if we go back some decades, because I'm old enough to remember there was a television documentary about how Thames Valley police investigated rape all those years ago. It caused an almighty brouhaha mm. because of the dreadful policing. Of course, they have improved the way that they deal with rape victims, but there's a big problem about public confidence in coming forward 
to report that you have been a victim of crime, particularly sex offences, because people simply don't think that they will see a conviction at the end of the day. Mm. And it is worrying, isn't it, for a lot of people to even um, get involved in all of that, because once you mix with the criminal fraternity, you can never guarantee that they won't find out um, who you are. They won't find out that you were the person that put the, uh, you know, put the, the mockers on them and all of that. And, and people are frightened. Yes, they are. And understandably so. But if you're going to be afraid of repercussions of perhaps being subject to yet another crime, then my advice would be don't join a gang because gang culture is one of revenge, mm. tit-for-tat, respect. And so many, sadly, of the crimes that we see where we have a tide of teenage bloodshed flowing through our major cities is gang-related and is revenge-based. Um, generally speaking, and I, I say that uh, in, in broad terms, if you are the victim of crime and you go to the police, you report it, there is an investigation, there are arrests and there are convictions, you will not be suffering any retribution, I'm pleased to say. Yes, no, that's good. Just going back to this situation in Maida Vale, uh, where there's a motorist um, uh, who is now charged with suspicion of murder, would you believe? Uh, the mo This is the motorist who sort of tried to run over the guy who was doing um, the killing. He's now been charged. He's 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 the, he's sort of urging. He's being urged um, by the 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 the, the have a go hero's mother of two um, has said, "Can you please de-arrest him? Because it seems very unfair that this guy was trying to do a decent thing, um, and he's now finding himself uh, on a murder charge." If we, the public, take the law into our own hands, become vigilantes, dish out retribution as we see fit then we essentially have lost the plot in terms of living in a law-abiding democracy. Mm. That's what our police are there for. I would urge anybody, never, ever take the law into your own hands because you do not carry a warrant card, you do not have the powers of a constable, and you should not be judge, jury and executioner. Our courts, our criminal justice system is, is, is there to serve us all. Sadly... It suffers from chronic underfunding and has done for a long time. And there is a lawful lot wrong with it, as any police officer, lawyer or barrister will tell you. That said, it is not for us to exact our own retribution. It is not for us to dish out punishments. That is for the criminal justice system. Yeah. Although there have been a few mixed messages on that front, haven't there? Because in the wake of the whole Sarah Everard uh, case, where uh, people made a big um, demonstration about not just what, when they actually turned up at Clapham Common for a demonstration, they said that, you know, an awful lot of uh, women suffer at the hands of men in all sorts of different ways on the streets. If you see it, you should intervene. So on the one hand, you're saying if you see something bad, you should intervene. But if you see somebody stabbing some woman, uh, you shouldn't. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. 
shopify.com slash work. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. But my comments that I just made, Mike, were about retribution, not intervening. Mm. Intervening is a completely different thing from retribution yeah. and dishing out your own punishment. If you see a crime being committed, if you see somebody being hurt, and if, and this is a very, very big if, you feel that you can safely intervene because I would never encourage somebody to make a bad situation even worse. Mm. Then you have to make a judgment call. And that judgment might be, well, do I actually film this event and gather some evidence for later use at a court case, for example? Or am I physically capable, trained, fit enough to be able to intervene and perhaps present prevent the crime being committed or the situation getting worse. These are individual de decisions to be made by individuals based on the circumstances as they pan out in front of them, their own physical capabilities. And as I say, the overarching thing which I urge people to do is not make a bad situation worse. Mm. No, I get what you're saying. And, and Peter, I assume you're still probably in touch with, with former colleagues and people who are still in um, the, the force or the police service, as it's now called. And what do you hear from them? What do they tell you about the way that it's now run compared to what it was like when you were in it? Well, I'm also a very keen follower of policing accounts across various social media. So, yes, to an extent, I do have my ear to the ground. What I hear, unfortunately are tales of disillusionment, of people, of, of an overwhelming workload, uh, the fact that the police spend, response officers, so those brave men and women on the front line, spend very little time dealing with crime and an awful lot of time dealing with all of society's ills because that is what policing in 2022 has become. It's become a one-stop shop for all of society's ills and forgive me for sounding flippant, because to some people ring 999 
when they get the wrong pizza topping. I mean, <laughs> I find that story. incredible. I mean, I really do. You do wonder about the intelligence level of some people, do you? Yeah, and many police officers find themselves dealing with people who are having a mental health crisis, especially out of office hours when mental health professionals are quite simply not available. Hmm. Very it's... little time is 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 actually taken up on investigating crime and catching bad guys. Hmm. And I mean, in terms of the shortages of people, um, is that absolutely about not enough people or is it about not enough people in enough of the right jobs? It is, no, it, it is a numbers game to a certain extent. And sadly, the catastrophic decade of austerity, which saw so many police jobs cut and so many back office staff lose their jobs, has had catastrophic effects, despite Theresa May, for example, who was quite frankly one of the most ludicrous home secretaries and daft prime ministers we've ever had the misfortune to have, mm. her accusing the police of crying wolf. Well, sadly, the trail of bloodshed now emphatically proves that police officers were not crying wolf and the chickens have come home to roost. Well, indeed. And it's interesting, isn't it, that now people hearken back to the halcyon <coughs> days, as they call them, of Theresa May's prime minister's uh, role. I mean, because people forget, as well as being not very good at getting Brexit done, she wasn't very good at running the Home Office, was she? No, and she was no friend of policing. Um, and, and, and she oversaw cuts upon cuts to budgets. She said that numbers didn't matter. She said that policing could be done differently. Well soaring violent crime rates, catastrophic conviction rates, um, and quite frankly, us all living in a somewhat less safe world means that she was wrong and the police officers were, who were warning her repeatedly, they were right. And we were talking earlier about the economy and as the economy starts to slip and we start to get people having less money, um, the cost of living rising and all of that, I mean, that probably is a pretty much of a recipe for crime to rise even more, isn't it? Unfortunately, I think it will be because a lot of crime is financially motivated. It, it will be, I'm sure we will see crimes, perhaps those sort of crimes like burglary and theft be on the rise. But of course, the true situation in terms of crime figures is very much distorted because some days people quite frankly think there is no point in reporting crime to the police because nothing will happen. There'll be no investigation and they'll merely be given a crime reference number to pass on to their insurers. Mm. And on that note, I would urge anybody who is a victim of crime, please do report it. Even if the, the, the service you get is unsatisfactory because we're kind of letting the police and the authorities off the hook if we don't accurately report each and every crime. No, I think that's right. But that's one of the other problems, isn't it? That we've now got this ludicrously low um, charge rate. 6% of crimes result in a charge. I mean, even under the worst case scenario, that's woeful. I mean, they surely can't allow that to continue. It really is. But policing these days is a multifaceted kind of job. By and large, back in the days when I joined... It was a game of, not a game, it, it was a job of cops and robbers, mm. good guys and bad guys. And you could walk out of the police station first thing in your shift and go looking for criminals and find them and bring them into the nick and see them charged and convicted at court. OK, it wasn't a perfect policing world. I do accept that. There was some utterly unacceptable behaviour going on back in the day, of course. But now 
policing covers such a broad spectrum. And the police have dragged their heels a little bit in terms of changing and adapting. And quite frankly, I think, and I know many people will disagree with me, but I think we need a Royal Commission to look at policing in the round. Because, of course, at one end of the policing spectrum, you've got counter-terrorism work, Mm. where the police are trying to dismantle plots carried out by people that would wipe us all off the face of the earth if they had a chance. And at the other end, you've got police trying to deal with shoplifters on occasion. and, And everything in between, including the internet, for example. And so much crime is now committed online. I think we need a Royal Commission that can take its time and and look at policing in its entirety and perhaps come up with some solutions to make policing fit for the 21st century. Because I don't know whether you saw a story, a development the other day with Priti Patel and the Home Office and the Border Force, and there's some suggestion that they want to bring the Border Force under the uh, arm of the Department of Defence, which a lot of people think is a daft idea. I mean, you don't think it's worth doing something different with the police, taking it away from the Home Office, setting up some kind of new organisation which is national and which covers the whole country rather than leaving it to sort of individual constabularies? Well, there might be an argument because there's already been a precedent set in Scotland, for example, Mm. where we now have Police Scotland instead of, I think it was seven or nine individual forces up there. In terms of amalgamating all police into one organisation, I can see some obvious benefits in regards to uniforms, for example. Imagine the purchasing power that the police would have if they bought one standard uniform for 100,000 officers. Mm. You know, they could drive down costs there. And would there be any need for people to have a different badge and different uniforms, depending on what part of the country they were in? Yeah. Some chief constables have their little fiefdoms. Um, and, uh, but, uh, of course, I do accept the argument that says rural policing area might need completely different priorities and, and action plans than an inner city. Mm. I get all that. But I think there might be room for all that diversity to exist under one umbrella organisation. Well, maybe that is a possibility. Peter, appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed. Peter Blexley, former Scotland Yard detective. We'll take calls on this coming up uh, very shortly. But it's been suggested to me um, that the public sector there is so huge that maybe what needs to be done is that those people in the public sector who are actually front office, if you like, like the police, like the fire uh, people, like the NHS, people who actually do a proper job rather than sitting behind a desk, um, you know, pushing paper around for hours and hours on end or working from home, you know, they should be separated out from the bulk of the public sector. The public sector can be stripped down. The people who need the money, uh, rather than those who just administrate, could be given more money. Uh, And perhaps Peter's got it right that there should be a different organisation, an umbrella organisation, if you like, just for the police in England and Wales, perhaps, which is nothing to do with the Home Office, because that would seem to me to be a place where... They prevent things from improving rather than causing them to improve. And this is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio.
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.